This is episode two with Chris and Raphael Marino. They're twins, they're both highly successful full-time engineers, and amazingly, they're also founders of one of Australia's fastest-growing beer brands. Welcome to the Wild Ones with Cam Miller podcast. I'm your host, Cam Miller, and I'm a coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and founder of what has twice been the UK Babywear brand of the year. For the last few years, I've been supporting people around the globe to reconnect with the wild, innate strength within themselves so that they can rapidly realize their goals and build incredible lives. The purpose of the Wild Ones podcast is to connect those creating wild, free, incredible lives and to share the knowledge, tools and skills we need to spend more of our time doing the things we love with the people we love when we like. If you're inspired by this podcast episode, subscribe to the podcast and head over to cam-miller.com where you can check out and sign up for my free weekly growth guide email. It works hand-in-hand with the podcast to provide you with a steady stream of motivation, knowledge, and practices to fuel and guide your own wild, free, incredible journey through life. In this episode, I'm interviewing Chris and Raphael Marino. They're good friends of mine who I met while abroad as an expatriate engineer. While they just scraped into their double degrees at university, a shift in their mindset enabled them to finish with first class honours. And they've been on the fast track to engineering success ever since, rising to manage teams in the thousands and billion dollar projects. Despite both having young families, they've also managed to found a beer brand in Golden West Brewing Co, which is winning awards and proving a breakout success. If you want to learn how to create a success mindset, if you want to learn how to rise at the fastest possible rate in your career, if you want to learn how to start a highly enjoyable and exciting business on the side, then this podcast episode is for you. Welcome, Chris and Raphael. Great to have you both on the show. Thanks, Cam. Good to be here, mate. (laughs) Awesome. Well, look, uh, I wanted to jump in. I think first thing to note that people listening to the podcast wouldn't have noticed this already, but people obviously watching the video would have that you guys are twins. Uh, And that's one of the reasons I want to get you on the podcast both together, because there's obviously a really interesting dynamic there. I know uh, both of you, I know you've got a really close uh, relationship, uh, a dynamic relationship. And so I think that's important for people to keep in mind and we can, we can touch on that as we go, but I actually wanted to kick things off with a story Raphael related to me the other day um, about your uni days um, and how both of you did an engineering and if I remember correctly, a science degree, but that you at least Raphael, but maybe Chris as well, you know, you just scraped through with the scores you needed to do that degree. Could you, could you relate to that? Yeah, I think we we're having a chat about the other day saying that um, I think there were close to uh, 40 people doing a double degree uh, or 50 maybe. And that um, when we got to our first day of uni, we'd spoken to everyone about, you know, what, what mark did you get in, this, this and that. And um, we sort of found ourselves on the bottom of the um, of the pyramid, to be quite honest, compared to everyone else, um, which was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, so, yeah, it, it put things in perspective to see what the – and I wouldn't call them competition at that stage, but just the rest of your colleagues were like. Um, 
but it was interesting, uh, I guess, our, our change and our maturity from high school through to uni uh, and what it meant in terms of our, I guess, our habits, our work ethic and stuff like that. Um, maybe knowing that we probably weren't in, in the top echelon getting into uni, um, I feel like it made me flick a switch um, in particular what I wanted and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was just, I remember uh, reminiscing with you on that um, compared to um, what we ended up doing when we finished our double degree, which is uh, the complete opposite side of the pyramid and uh, and how we basically graduated with first class honours, really. Yeah, I got you. So there was a big, uh, as I said, a big change in maturity, but you also mentioned habits, things like that. Was there, you know, within yourselves a bit of a, a desire that kind of grew within you? Was it to be successful? Was it to be successful relative to your peers? Was it to um, achieve long-term success in your career? Was there an underlying driver behind this change in you guys? I think um, I, I think the fo- the focus changed, um, and I think when your focus changes, um, you, all that energy that I was putting into perhaps other things, um, you know, particularly sport at the time, um, it, that sort of gravitated to perhaps academia and thinking, well, you know, I, I was I was very good at sport, and because I put a lot of time and energy into it, um, how would it go if I put that time and effort into something like you know university and and particularly the the academic side of things and. I'm, I'm with Ruff. I mean, we, we, we scraped in, but we sort of acknowledged that perhaps we didn't put all our effort in in, in high school when we were very, very lucky um, because actually three of our closest mates yeah. uh, didn't make it into the double degree. Yeah, right. They were on the cusp and we were on the cusp who got in. So it was a massive reality check for Ruff and I because we really wanted that um, that ability to do that degree. But from a focus perspective, I think that's where it started shifting going, right, we know we need to pull our socks up. We know we can do it. Um, what's going to change? And, and reality is, I think it was it was effort. It was a wee bit of passion, but I think it was just more acknowledging that if we kept on going that way, we probably wouldn't end up successful. And success for us was being the best at something that we can be. So um, I think that was pretty similar for both of us, I think. Yeah, and uh, I think you touched on sport. I remember Chris and I were, uh, were in the West Australian Institute of Sport um, for soccer, basically, um, early on in the... Um, in our uni days, and uh, not that we thought we were the um, ducks nuts, but I guess we sort of realised um, at that stage we found it hard to focus on multiple things if you're really going to excel. Yeah. Uh, and we also had to work to earn some money, uh, by the way. So I think uh, the reality check that Chris talks about was um, our focus was going to be our education um, and, uh, and our degrees. And when you take away the other things, um, which were uh, – just as important at that stage, in particular soccer, yeah. um, all that uh, energy uh, went into our studies. Yeah, gotcha. And it sounds like from sport, you kind of learn a bit of self-belief uh, that you found that you could you could work at something, get better at it and become quite successful. And then it sounds like you realise, well, you weren't necessarily putting in those same sort of efforts um, in terms of your education in high school, which you know, I can definitely, definitely relate to. Um, but you had that self-belief and then once you applied it, obviously the journey from academically from where you began university to where you finished with top class honours, um, obviously again would have taught you an important lesson about belief. Was that is that the case? It's a pretty good summary. Yeah. 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 Cool. <laughs> I think the belief was the belief so the, the belief was there. It's just where we channeled that belief and um 
you know, I think as you mature, that belief becomes a bit more clear on where you want to channel it. And as Ruff said, I think we, we got pretty clear after the, the first year at university that we wanted to be, I guess, really quite quite successful through the through the university time. So we could give ourselves the best chance to be successful mm -hmm. after that. Um, it was almost a means to an end to really get to being an engineer or, or what the next part was. But I think we acknowledge that if we were going to be the bottom of that pack, it probably wouldn't give us the chance to um, to see where we are right now. So I got you. And then, so that gave you some, you know, some, some great opportunities, I guess, in terms of career paths uh, when you left university, the strong academic performance. How did you guys, was it quite clear the path that you guys wanted to take? You both went into engineering in the energy space. Was that, was that something you knew early on in your university days or it's something that, that came uh, to you as, think, as time progressed? Um, it took me probably a couple of years to really understand um, sort of how the whole process worked. So you sort of touched on, um, unfortunately, the way sort of uni works is in order to even apply for some of the, you know, top jobs that you want to do, you actually do need to actually have a certain qualification score. Yeah. So on the back of that, um, Chris and I sort of both spoke about, you know, working for some of the majors um, and, and we're lucky enough to, to interview for some of them um, sort of um, in our last year where you got to do some vacation work. And then for me, that sort of solidified um, where I wanted to be, which is working in oil and gas. Yeah. And then got lucky. Um, funny enough, me and Chris applied for similar jobs and had similar interviews, um, which was quite funny. Was, uh, <laughs> the recruitment agencies found it quite amusing having a set of twins uh, in the same uh, interview um, sort of sessions. But anyway, digressing from there, it was quite funny at that stage. Um, we applied for similar jobs and we sort of ended up with, with a similar career path from there. So, um, yeah, I, after a couple of years, I sort of knew I wanted to work in oil and gas um, for a number of reasons. So, uh, yeah. Cool. And, and just uh, because you're touching on it, in terms of, in terms of the twin dynamic, um, you know, I often in my coaching and things I do uh, talk to the importance, you know, finding partners out there, uh, not just in sport and in your uh, business, um, but in, in every area of life, in your long-term careers, in terms of the goals you want to achieve uh, outside of work, et cetera. Did you guys find it a helpful dynamic uh, in terms of studying a little bit of healthy competition perhaps in propelling you guys forward uh, towards these roles? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we we weren't necessarily competing with us with ourselves um, or each other, but um, I, I think we knew that um, competition was healthy and so, um, you know, having the, the benefit of being twins, we, we would help each other to try and achieve um, you know, our, 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 our maximum results. Um, I think we also figured out after maybe the first, second year that, again, we, we did believe that we could actually do something quite different to what we saw at school. And yeah. that, um, that intrinsic belief started seeing results. And it's funny what those results start to grow inside you. And, and um, you know, I think both of us were both doing so well at university that um, we wanted to aim for, for the highest possible outcome, which was, as Ruffy said, that, you know, we thought the energy industry was going to be the thing that gave us the, the best of all worlds, you know, yeah. whether it's remuneration, travel, uh, experience, um, challenge. So um, I think those early years of those results probably was the catalyst to say, right, we can do this. Um, 
and we normally celebrate things together. So it was great that both of us could do really, really well to continue sort of egging each other on. And, and we had some close friends as well. Um, you know, you probably as yourself you know, came at university, you ended up, you know, becoming partners or lab partners or you end up going with someone in a lot of these assignments and yep. you know if you're doing well with them and you, you know all those are doing well to co- collectively then that really gives you that energy to continue um, being successful yeah got it the the right uh peer group and you kind of you kind of talk to the fact and i can definitely relate to this you know i, I went into engineering uh energy straight after university but it was that breadth of you know it was good money but it was that breadth of opportunity and particularly for me um, you know, as soon as in my first three years, the thing I wanted more than anything um, through my role, as well as just sort of general success in the role was an expatriation uh, overseas. And this was, you know, coming from Perth, Western Australia, which is actually you know, one of the more isolated cities in the world. I think it's important for people that are that way minded that they find a you know a path that can take them to, to see the world. Um, and I know both of you guys, I think this is how we actually really got to know each other. I know, I know, Chris, we bumped into each other on a project before I left Australia, <laughs> but then we really got to know each other in Paris, France on an expat- expatriation. I know both of you have spent a lot of time overseas uh, with the energy industry. Can you talk a little bit to how, you know, whether that was a motivating factor uh, for you and, and I guess really what you've learned through those experiences? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like you, uh, Cam. I think one of the biggest things was trying to get exposed to um, a different set of cultures and, and being an expat um, ticked a lot of boxes apart from the remuneration. It was very much about seeing new cultures and, and working in, in, in new environments, different languages. These were all things that you, you never really could understand during university, but when, when offered um, was something that I would, you know, jump onto. So um, that that really would be one of the top reasons why I chose such an international career because we and I and, and now my wife, um, we, we really enjoy and thrive. To be honest, we actually enjoy and, and thrive being in really somewhat awkward situations because we think that's something that you don't get living in a, in a place like Perth um, because things are very easy here and um, sometimes you, you fall into that complacency of how easy things are and, and a lot of people love that, which is great. I'm sure there's a time and place, but um, I think what we were really looking for is a, is a challenge. Life was a challenge. We were young and we were hungry and we wanted to go see that challenge. And, I mean, it, it only gets better when you've got friends that are in those countries as well, just so you can enjoy those moments uh, and experiences. And I've been very fortunate that, that Ruffer and I have been able to work in, in the same countries, um, same yeah. cities and, and, and close ones. So, to be able to take away from work and then enjoy the social side of things, it just doesn't get better than that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I think, Robbie, we uh, spent some time together in London. I think you, I know you always used to spend a lot of time uh, in Norway as well, but then both of you, was it, uh, spent quite a lot of time in South Korea? Yep. Yeah. In particular, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah especially <laughs> me, yeah. <laughs> and Chris, it was actually an interesting dynamic that, your partner, uh, she was working for the same company, was she not? So you were you were both effectively on uh, expatriate deals, was it? Or uh, yep. deals with deals with Dink, the as they call it, double income, no kids, um, expatriate. <laughs> <assignment. Yes. laughs> Which is obviously um, you know a very powerful dynamic. Many aren't able to take advantage of that. I know my partner at the time when I was an expatriate, you know, she wasn't working in that industry. She was working in another industry and it was quite hard for her to find uh, a role 
in Paris, France. She did find a good one and she studied for quite a long time as well. But it's, uh, for, I guess, for any of those looking at an expatriation uh, in terms of thinking about your long-term plans, et cetera, um, you know, align that with your, with your partner and, and their plans as well could uh, prove you know, very helpful and very fruitful, I guess. Indeed. Yeah, yeah for sure. So guys, in terms in terms of your career progression and acceleration, both of you have risen very quickly in the engineering uh, profession. And what are the biggest biggest drivers of that? Is it kind of um, you know your work ethic? Is it these expatriations and these different roles that you've done? Uh, is there anything in particular um, that you feel has been sort of key to? Uh, moving up the ladder, I guess, in terms of engineering success, um, you know, very quickly. Um, uh, from my perspective, um, I've worked, I think, for four companies now. Um, and every time I've left, it's mainly because I felt like um, strategically um, there was something missing to make me a more complete either engineer or manager. So starting off at, uh, um, at Clough, going to a process consultancy into an operator such as Impex. Um, every time I moved, it's because I felt like I'd gained the experience I had from there. Um, I had places or weaknesses in my sort of um, experience vocab um, that I wanted to tick, um, in particular going to an operator with the reservoir and subsea side of things, um, which I got exposed immensely once at Impex. So um, having sort of ticked all those boxes which not many people get to do because uh, we're people like people are creatures of comfort, basically. Um, and I'd like to be outside my sort of comfort uh, level. Chris mentioned it when moving to other places. So um, having worked in so many different scopes in so many different areas, um, I, I felt a lot more comfortable. And I think it got acknowledged when it came to then managing some of the bigger scopes and projects that I had quite a breadth and depth of um, knowledge um, in particular, um, from basically reservoir to onshore in, in the offshore space that I work in. Um, so I think chasing um, chasing your weaknesses is, in yep. summary, um, how I got to where I was, ticking those boxes and making sure I was a more complete uh, engineer and then, I guess, subsequently manager um, has probably been the foundation to, to how I got to where I am, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, did you have anything to add in particular? Um, I guess Ruffy, Ruffy and I have both taken slightly different um, roads to where, where we've got to, um, and though we do similar roles now, I think um, it depends on, on your willingness to want to be exposed to certain things. I think my my eagerness was always to be exposed, not just as Ruff was saying, to new things. And, and again, unless you're really proactive in asking for that exposure or proactive in saying, hey, I've got an area development or I, I want to take an assignment or want to stretch. And, you know, these things don't come for free. You're obviously performing and you're performing well to be given the opportunity. So it doesn't come with luck. You're, you're obviously working your backside off to be given yep. the respect, to have the opportunity. So it, it sort of felt like I would always work hard, work hard and, and then be given an opportunity. But that's because I was proactively doing it and wanting yep. it. Um, and then once I was given the opportunity, I would work my backside again and make sure that I had the next opportunity. And, and that would lead you to different companies, as, as Ruffa said. And sometimes it was within the company. But I think what, what 
ultimately happened towards the end is that I was getting very good at becoming a leader um, yep. and using what I thought were personal traits, you know, being authentic, um, showing things like, you know, strong communication and collaboration. And, and that started to grow your own reputation. And then I think that reputation was the next step of trying to get me into a more senior role. And, you know, there's there's all these wonderful curves that show when you're, when you're a young person, you do a lot of doing and you do less leading. And obviously, as you start to become a bit more senior in an organisation, you do a lot less doing and you do a lot more leading. And um, if you can figure out where you are in that journey, you can yeah. adjust to the way you do things to to support your own career um, ambitions and and uh, and so forth. Gotcha. And just, just to put a marker on that for people listening, you know, recently you were the director um, at a large international uh, energy services firm. Uh, roughly, how old were you um, at that role and what sort of, uh, how many sort of people were you responsible for in, in, in that role? Um, uh, yeah, so I was about 38 when I joined. Um, yeah, I just turned 38 actually. Um, so I was a young, young director and uh, I was looking after a large organisation of around a thousand odd people so um and we're talking you know multi-billion dollar portfolios so um definitely a a a a new environment a stretch environment um and i think again i i had to go in confident that i could do the role um though i knew that i hadn't perhaps um been exposed to all those things but but that was exactly what i said previously if i didn't have that want or that ambition to be exposed yeah i probably wouldn't have taken it so but um, incredible challenge. Um, I, I hope that I've succeeded in that space. Um, yeah. It's taught me a lot. So, yeah. And so I guess that is a good segue into, you know, this taking on new challenges and exploring new things because both of you are still full-time uh, engineers, uh, but you've started a beer brand in Golden West with a number, if, if I remember correctly, friends and or uh, workmates. So, you know, two things, how, how did that come about? But then how have you managed to pursue this opportunity? You know, I know you both got uh, young families as well. Pursue this opportunity, um, you know, alongside all of those things. Well, I think this is another example of where I think at one point, Ruffy and I somewhat weren't satisfied with life and I think we um and again trying to get the most out of ourselves and our, and our lives we we looked at each other and thought well maybe something's missing and 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 we thought we could actually try and do something together um and at the time um we were both very interested in uh, in, in brewing um yeah. brewing our own beer and craft brewing becoming a, a bigger part within not just western australia perth australia the states i mean in most western countries so um, I think I posed to Ruffy, look, why, why not try and learn um, craft brewing? And, and, and we did, and I think we, we got pretty pretty good at it. Um, and coincidentally, um, a good friend of mine from my previous employer um, had a bunch of mates where they were doing a lot of brewing. And um, we got to a point where we got so serious, we put a business plan together and we were going to go to a site to start to see, well, could we start brewing on a, on a larger site in a warehouse? And it was coincidental I bumped into my old mate um, and he effectively was going to um, put an offer down to move into that same location. And then it wow. sort of became, a discussion, well, why would both of us want to sort of compete with each other? Yep. Um, and we were extremely time poor because they were also four engineers. Yeah. Um, 
and we had a quick conversation, a quick meet and greet. Um, we liked each other in 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 a, in, a, in a very short period of time, and thought, right, we can we can join, and and that's exactly how we started Golden West Brewing Company was based on based on that. So, fantastic. Um, yeah. I don't know what else. Um, what else goes with that? No, your first question, Cam. Um, I guess. Um, it does become quite taxing though um, with the corporate ladder and where we're at. Um, it doesn't get any easier <laughs> when you become sort of a, a senior project manager. Uh, and with young families, I guess one of the things I wanted was a, um, a sort of backup plan per se, but just something as a, another option that um, if it was to go potentially uh, um, successful or gangbusters, and that maybe we could actually either back off um, from the the long days and nights that the, that the corporate world and the engineering world has to something that was mainly us um, and maybe less hours. And that was a driver for me. Um, the older I get, um, that seems becoming more important to me as well uh, and start to enjoy a bit more uh, of the fruit that life offers. So, um, yeah, that, that was a driver uh, for me as well is maybe becoming a bit more sort of financially independent by by hopefully having a business um, that we love uh, and maybe le- meant a little less hours, to be quite honest. Gotcha. And, and I guess both of yourselves and I, I guess the guys you partnered with, was it all, it was all self-funded uh, through the group that you'd all built up a certain, I often refer to it as a war chest, but, you know, a certain portfolio of investments, a certain amount of financial freedom. So between... Mm. You know, the few of you, or that was it, the five of you, you had the, um, you know, enough capital to start a business, to get the brewing equipment together, to get the, um, to get the facility, uh, as, as you mentioned. Was that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. There's seven of us and, uh, seven. There's, there's different, there's different models, I guess you can take with, um, especially starting a brewery. Um, we sort of took the the more modest one where we sort of wanted to prove that we could make um, quality beer on a continuous basis. So we actually have quite a small brew kit initially mm-hmm. and sort of two years later and continuously selling out of our beer week in, week out. You know, we've got a model where we know we make good beer and we know that it's been um, accepted by the public because of the way that it's accepted on social media and um, some of the beer festivals that we've been at where we actually won the best beer award at our first big beer festival um, and once we had that and we knew that internally we had a tick of approval we could expand and I guess that's sort of where we're at right now aren't we exactly gotcha and I guess the other key component mm-hmm. around that that I really love and uh, for anybody watching the video they can see a, a cap uh, above my shoulder hanging on the door which is a which is your <laughs> brand guys is the, the golden golden west uh, cap I really I really love the branding. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how the brand was formed and you know the history and story behind the brand? Yeah, the um, the branding has actually been an interesting one because um, it it wasn't the original um, um, brand name for either uh, sets of groups. So yeah. it was only when we decided to move into Leaderville um, as our selected um, uh, area, we did a bit of a background research and, and we found out that there was a, a carbonated beverage company um, that was founded 100 plus years ago. And um, to those who live in Western Australia, in Perth in particular, this brand is mm-hmm. is quite um, synonymous with you know, you know, handcrafted um, beverages. So, the there was a fortunate um, situation though that um, um, 
in in the late sixties and seventies, um, Coca Cola brought this brand, um, Golden West, and and then therefore had the rights um, and the trademark. And over the years, they they'd rebadged it a few times. Um, but it got to a point in twenty eighteen when we were looking for a location where effectively the old brand. Golden West um, uh, had had basically had its time within Coca-Cola Amatil, and we were doing a title search and found that basically this was available. Um, wow! So we ended up um, buying this uh, this trademark um, and this logo uh, of Golden West for a dollar. Um, wow! And um, 120 years worth of history uh, associated with it. So we don't own the recipes. That's still the Coca-Cola for all yep. these wonderful um, carbonated beverages. A lot a lot of the beverages that um, you know common soft drinks but we also got the 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 quintessential brand from leaderville which a lot of us have actually grown up in mm. uh, i know you've you know been there a lot as well cam and it's it sort of you know it was um, a bit of a, a romantic story for us to be able to you know rebirth um this you know 100 year old um brand um and going back to the you know the idealism of, of crafting a beverage and yeah and hence why we thought right we'll go in we'll start her up and 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 we pay homage to the to the logo with that hat behind you where we haven't actually changed the, the logo as it is so yeah well i love the fact it's got the uh um i can can send an image um with the notes but it's uh you know it's a it's a sunset basically um yeah. which western australia that's something that we're all very familiar with uh celebrate the end of the days often often by the coast uh near where you guys live so i love i love the branding and you know I guess this year, it's obviously been a challenging year for everybody, particularly new businesses. Can you talk to a little bit about how you guys adapted uh, through COVID uh, in getting getting this brand off the ground? Yeah, so obviously it was a bit tough, as you mentioned, um, you know, our core business at the moment is just distribution. So um, we don't have um, our own brew pub or anything else, our own pub. So the distribution is mainly through kegs um, and obviously once uh, COVID hit and bars were forced to close and um, there was that avenue of, of revenue uh, shut. Um, so um, we we sort of started our own um, distribution to people and to the public um, and we did it through growlers and squealers. Um, so um, really popular in the States and it's getting quite popular in Australia in general yep. where people can go to their local liquor store or to their own pub um, and actually take their growler, um, which is essentially two litres and, and a squealer. Yeah, a glass vessel. Glass vessel, roughly yes. Roughly two litres. Um, and then a squealer, which is roughly a, a litre. So um, we've sort of changed that model um, for two or three months whilst um, pubs and bars were closed down and went to a um, delivery service and uh, where we would drop off and pick up um, uh, free of charge, basically uh, beer that we'd brewed. Um, so we went to more of an online type business, yeah. um, which was new to us. Um, it allowed us also to start to use, um, so Chris is in charge um, of the hat behind you and basically yep. in general, all our sort of um, merchandise that we've got. So we've got shirts and we've got caps, we've got jumpers, hoodies. And I guess we basically built the store on our website and not only were we now selling beer um, through crowlers and squealers, yep. but it meant that we're actually selling a lot more clothes and just in general starting to market and brand um, our, our, our 
our iconic sort of Golden West. And it's yeah. it's really amusing now. You walk around places no matter where it is, whether it's at the beach, uh, the pub, uh, even uh, the shopping centres, and you see someone wearing one of your hats or that. It's always uh, always makes me happy actually. Yeah. So well, yeah. Great designs, and obviously, you know, if you're already getting the beer by delivery, why not, you know, grab a shirt or a hat or something, something like that to go with it. Um, you know, it's a great, it's a great uh, business model to have these options to, uh, to I guess, upsell to people, or they can they can up buy really uh, in in what they're grabbing. Uh, no, so I love love what you guys have been doing there. How's the business going right now? You mentioned, I think, a key issue is the um, the production of beer and, and getting it out there because the brand, the craft, the awards, et cetera, there's a big, big demand for it. So how are you guys, I guess, structuring in terms of operations to, to meet that demand and I guess, take advantage of it. Yeah. yeah so I guess the, the next step was fairly natural in that um, we feel like we've got the brand uh, and the brand comprises of the beer, uh, the marketing, um, and we're starting to get the actual, um, the crowd, um, so on the back of that, um, we, we've taken the leap to basically go and do our own brew pub. And not only does that allow us to now um, basically get a whole new set of equipment, um, which is really important with the economies of scale, because um, you know, brewing is one of those things that no matter whether you're brewing a big 1,000-litre um, sort of brew or whether you're doing a 200, it basically takes the same time. Sometimes you can actually do it quicker. So from that point of view, and when you're buying sort of um, also ingredients, you can buy them in a bulk scale, things are cheaper. Um, it really allows us to start to take advantage of some of those things. So um, we've been searching for about a year, and we found what we think is a very cool place in Subiaco. Um, so we've got a lease on that, and we're really excited about And um, We're working with the council, and we're working with a very, very good architect, and we're basically going to, to make our brew pub um, hopefully one of the sort of centrepieces in Subiaco where not only does it sort of pay, I think Chris just said, homage to our brand yep. um, when we finish building it and, and the fit out, but also um, it's quite functional. You know, we're a big um, advocate for um, having beer gardens. We think beer is best drunk in the sun. <laughs> um, and, one of the, and one of the key parts to this is not only do we have a really big space uh, for adults, which has a really cool vibe, you know, the festoon, food trucks, all that sort of stuff. But we've got a really amazing right. kids area. Um, so for parents as well that want to come and enjoy themselves but watch their kids playing around, whether it's in the sandpit, uh, playground, shooting hoops, whatever it is, yeah, we think we've found this really cool place that sort of ticks all the boxes that Perth sort of screened for. Was it a, a hard decision for the, uh, the group to come to? Um, is it going to need some additional financing with what you guys currently have to, to make this a reality? Yeah, de definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, group, group decisions, it's an interesting uh, uh, dynamic as well because um, with, with seven um, sort of um, shareholders and, and five sort of more um, directors, um, you know, that can always be um, a difficult challenge. And a lot of people ask us, do we always align on things? And the answer is no. Um, do we always need to align on things? Um, no. Uh, we, we need to make sure that yeah. we all play our role and responsibilities. So, um, you know, some people need to focus on certain things and, and others. So um, I think that's that's one of the secrets of Golden West. I think we're a very aligned group of um, guys with similar values and, and similar morals and, and a similar vision. And I think that really helps. Um, if not, I think we would be um, you know, really um, 
it'd be difficult to try and go at the pace that we're going. To answer your question, Cam, on finance, um, yes, we've um, we've decided that um, the only way to move this forward is through major expansion. So we we are looking to finance this next step, and we've been assessing different, um, I guess, investment instruments to try and bring investors in um, that both you know reward us, um, uh, but reward the investor as well. And I think we've been very careful in how we've made that assessment to make sure that. We bring the right people in um, at the right time, um, and and protects um, both the brewery and the brand and and the investors. So, we're pretty happy the direction we're going. Um, the next few weeks are really important in that space as well because we're trying to put um, pen to paper to a lot of those investors, and hopefully that gives us the opportunity to then uh, move quite quickly with the with the remainder of the the expansion and the brew pub. Excellent. Well, I guess, you know, with the team, I guess seven is uh, better than six in terms of odd numbers, <laughs> at least in, in, in terms of voting. But you guys alluded to the fact that you've, um, you've been pretty good with your role definition. Is it, is it that some of the guys are full-time in this business versus uh, other people like yourselves that um, are still, still working full-time roles alongside well, all of us actually um, still have full-time jobs, um, and uh, the sum to answer your question, the sum of uh, I guess all our efforts at the moment, um, we'd be lying if we said that we're not doing some serious hours, um, whether it's after work or weekends. Um, but strategically, the last um, uh, I guess four months, um, we've brought on some key people, and the first being our actual full-time brewer. Yeah. Which um, not only um, does he um, have the background and the, uh, I guess the, um, the experience on, on how we're going to expand, but more importantly, it's left us to now focus on the expansion, and the expansion comes in so many shapes, ways, and forms, from you know development approval um, to equipment and to marketing. Um, Chris has been quite important with we're currently contract brewing as well, yep. and that's basically to start canning. And that was really successful, um, our first canning run. And uh, we start brewing again tomorrow for our second canning run. Okay. So it allows us now to focus on other aspects of the business, which when the brew pub's up and running, you actually sort of need all those ducks in a row in order to make that a success. So, um, yeah, I think strategically we've made some good decisions the last few months, not only on the lease, but how we free our time up to focus on the expansion. Yeah, I got you. So I guess through your engineering careers as well, Delegation has been a, an important tool that you guys have used to become uh, more successful. Chris, you mentioned in terms of scaling up uh, the leadership. Is there other tools that you guys have used to, I guess, maintain balance in your lives? You mentioned, I guess, the, um, the stresses or the challenges and the opportunities in the different roles uh, that you've had. How, I guess, on the other side of the equation, have you found balance in terms of, you know, your family life and maybe in terms of your, your physical health and, and mental well-being as well? I mean, I think everybody deals with that stress um, differently. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I'm, I tend to communicate my stress quite a lot. So um, having been in a lot of stressful situations through our, our, our engineering and, and project management career. So I guess the biggest thing I have is my wife. She, um, she uh, is very good at recognising when I'm starting to, to, to see that stress and getting a bit short and a bit um, yeah, rough around the edges. Um, so, you know, I'm lucky that she call, calls that out and um, I'm sure Ruffy calls me out as well. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's probably the trust that I've got with these key people in my life 
that um, can really tell me that I've, I've got um, an issue or I'm, I'm, I'm going too far. And, you know, I really respect that as well because I know that's not an easy conversation, but it's um, something that, that keeps me on the straight and narrow. So, um, but I think as I get older, I, I definitely know that if, if that balance is not there, I'm going to fall into that trap. So um, heavily uh, focusing on, on health at the moment and through activities and sports and, um, you know, hanging out with friends and, and my little one keeps me entertained. But um, I think all those things play a part in having a healthy mind and, and it's the healthy mind that I'm, I'm really tend to focus on more towards as I get older because um, that sort of keeps me in check with all these uh, other stresses, I think, so. Could you have about yourself, Rafi? Have you got uh, your own uh, practices in that area to to keep you balanced, and I guess the the mindset and attitude in, in the right direction? Yeah, no, I've um I've been blessed to have some really good um, mentors um that have helped me through some of those things. Um, and but even uh, I'm reflecting on something which I got told 15 years ago by a good a good friend. Um, that I was winching to him um, that mm-hmm. I couldn't exercise and he knew how much it meant to me. And my poor excuse at the time was I didn't have time. Yep. <laughs> and, and his simple response at the time was, well, you make time. And I, I've been reflecting on that for 15 years now and basically since that day um, I do make time for the things that are important to me. And um, Chris touched on the um, the exercise, you know, um, as you know, we are uh, – we exercise very early with you this morning. Uh, yep. 15 years ago, I wouldn't wake up at 5 o'clock to do that. Um, but understanding now when I do do that, uh, today I've had a, a really good vibe uh, and presence about myself. Um, so um, the support from mentors um, and understanding what's important to me and actually doing those things puts me in a really good uh, frame of mind. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great advice. I think, you know, if you don't, if you don't have time to exercise, that's that's exactly what you really need. I know Zig Ziglar, a famous <laughs> motivational speaker in the States, you know, said that that basically, you know, when he exercises each day, he gets that much more out of himself in terms of energy, uh, in terms of productivity, in terms of focus, etc. That it's that's through those tools that he creates through his exercise that he's actually then able to create more time for his exercise, he's able to create more focus, et cetera, so that he can uh, fit that into his life. So I definitely, definitely agree with that. Well, it sounds like you guys are on a you know, really incredible journey, uh, I'd like to say. We'll wrap up the interview there. Is there, is there anything else in terms of your journey that we think you haven't covered at this stage that you'd really like to impart on those who are listening? A lot of our audience you know, may be in terms of their career, um, they may be at a, a juncture right now. Um, has there been some difficult decisions um, that at the time you weren't sure about perhaps that led to, you know, where you've arrived at now? No, the only parting uh, um, thing is my first day at um, uh, Clough, which was the, the job I started after university, um, the HR lady who, who, who I've forgotten her name is, um, I remember her advice to me, uh, which was, um, your career is what you make of it. And I guess since that day, um, anything where I feel like, and I sort of touched on it earlier, where I hadn't had that experience, I chased it. And, and Chris said something similar with his experience. So that's the only thing I'd sort of leave people um, thinking about, that career, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, um, it's what you make of it. So Fantastic. I love it. 
Well, thanks so much for being uh, on the podcast, guys. Uh, it's been really great chatting with you. For all those listening or watching, um, how can they follow your journey perhaps by Golden West? Is there is there a website and or what's your handle on Instagram perhaps so people can uh, follow along? Yeah, Golden West Brew Co. Um, Golden West Brew Co. is our handle for Instagram. Uh, we have Facebook as well. Um, and if you want to jump online, um, you can Google us as well. We've got a website, but um, and you can buy some merchandise for Christmas, uh, Cam. Um, perfect timing. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I've, I've got my hat and I'm waiting for the uh, for some of the new new products to arrive to check out. So I definitely, indeed. definitely will. Well, thanks so much, guys. Um, and we'll speak again to you soon. Thanks, Cam. Right. Speak thanks, soon. Cam. See you, All right. Cheers. Ciao, guys. So there you have it, guys and girls. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast and head over to cam-miller.com to sign up for my free weekly growth guide email. If you're really loving the podcast, please also share it with family and friends and leave a review on iTunes or whichever platform you might be listening on. I can't wait to share the next episode with you.